Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Weekly Roundup. I am your host, Christina Poschen. Today is Rare Disease Day and to mark the event, Partners for Access has been running a campaign throughout February called the 6P Campaign. The 6P Campaign is aimed at creating awareness on the impact of rare diseases on key stakeholders and the need for a partnership to achieve successful treatment access for patients. The 6P campaign is aimed at creating awareness on the impact of rare diseases on key stakeholders and the need for partnership to achieve successful treatment access for patients. The six Ps are partnership, patients, policymakers, physicians, pharma and payers. This week, we discussed the role of policymakers in the healthcare system and specifically issues surrounding the European Cross-Border Healthcare Directive. This directive is a key cornerstone of EU health legislation and one aspect of it is that it enables patients to find treatment in healthcare facilities outside of their home country. However, there are several challenges associated with it. Our producer Aparna Krishnan spoke to our guest podcast speaker Andre Riesch director of the Healthcare Systems and Medicinal Products Unit at the European Commission about the Cross-Border Healthcare Directive. Here's a partner. Thank you, Ms. Rees, for joining us today at uh, the Weekly Roundup podcast. Could you briefly tell us what is your role in uh, the European Commission? I am a medical doctor by training, specializing in radiology and public health, but before coming to the Commission, I did academia, tried to jump in the European Commission and since uh, 13 years I'm there. In my different appointments I, I was responsible for issues including also the negotiations on preparation also the cross-border uh, directives. I have quite, quite long experience with, uh, with this directive really from the most beginning. Uh, but my current responsibility is mainly in the field of uh, medical products and then for, uh, this case uh, pharmaceuticals but also subsequent regions like uh, tissue cells and uh, organ transplantations for the, the regulational safety issues and also uh, my, my director is possible for, for tobacco regulations, health services. We are working closely with member states in the area of health professionals, European Defense Networks. Uh, we are very busy now in the digital health agenda. We sounds quite like a broad-based role where you are tackling several different things but you mentioned uh, European cross-border and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that what were the key reasons behind bringing this legislation by the European Commission uh, when the directive uh, finally was, uh, was proposed by the Commission negotiated by member states because of, of, of patients patients went to the European Court of Justice and, and through different Cases and, and the court decisions established the, the base for the for the future legal uh, proposal. So, so I say that, that this this directive is about was basically developed by patients and for patients. So this is why uh, the, the title of this directive is Patients' Rights for Cross Border Healthcare. We did as a commission and and, and also what what politicians did finally it was to decide what is the legal legal framework to make this be the framework for, for movement of European, European patients. This directive has been 
in force for uh, a number of years now. How important is this for uh, rare disease patients particularly? And how do you see pharma using this uh, directive to provide access to patients um, in uh, terms of treatments? You know, th- this directive, uh, when, you, when you see the, this, this directive, you know, on one hand, we, we codify the patient's rights. Uh, so, for example, what is the, the embarrassment system? What is the basket of, of, of services patients can use? For example, it was important to define that, that you cannot move the rights from country to country. So, for example, when you live in, in a country you know, based like Poland and a new basket of services is covering this type of services, you cannot get more when you move to other country. So when, when you are entitled to do the, let's say, keep replacement therapy, in, in Poland, of course, you, you, you have the same right when you move to Germany or France mm. or Austria to, to, to this type of treatment. Mm. The other uh, consideration was the reimbursement. So you're entitled to be reimbursed to the tariff which are in your country. So, of course, you know, um, the economic situation, the, the, the prices in the, in the countries, the East Europe, the lower than in the West Europe, so 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 you have to co-pay. When you move from the country with a higher tariffs, like UK for example, to to to, to Poland or, or Hungary, you will not get more money, so you cannot gain money you know, on this, but you will be reimbursed to the British uh, NHS. Uh, the way governments can uh, regulate this, you know, the code was very clear that in the so-called non-hospitalized care, the, 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 the patients are free to move, for example, when you go for the cardiology consultation or uh, not very expensive uh, uh, diagnosis like, like ultrasound, for example, you, you, you can move this without special permissions, but the countries are allowed to, to kind of introduce the special uh, permission system for, the, for, for people patients moving to the hospital, so-called hospital or expensive uh, healthcare. And, and many countries uh, did this, most of countries did this just to, to, to avoid the, 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 the big flow of patients. So, so there, there was also kind of, of tension between you know, what, what system, uh, health system can afford and then how the, the rights can be executed by patients. So with the first part of the directive. The second part is about the, the way these things are organized. For example, how member states are obliged to establish so-called national contact points. So the national contact points are very important for information. So now, when you go to every every government website or or the sometimes insurance website, because it depends which which institution is running this, you will see the the, the contact point, national contact. Point when you can get information about the ability of uh, treatment in other countries, but of course you can also get information about the uh, when you when you travel from uh, country to country about the ability of the of the treatment options in in, in, in other countries. So, for example, again, if uh, Belgian patients like to move to France, uh, can get information in in France about the ability of treatments, but also when uh, when there is a problem, because also, for example, with liability, malpractice cases, you know, can be also, there's a system to, 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 to help. And the last part of this directive, is the third part, very important one, is the cooperation across member states. And this one uh, really focuses on, on, at least on the, the three different aspects. One is the health technology assessments, mm-hmm. cooperation 
this directive, we also introduced the system which allowed the uh, recognition of uh, cross-border prescription, which is uh, which is also important part of this of this package. The issue of, of, of rare diseases, will, of course, was already raised during negotiation because the, the, when we discussed about the European Reference Network as a system to help, um, the, 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 it was very clear in the negotiations discussion that the rare diseases, the, the, the field when we when ready, we can progress a lot as a, as a European European Union through the cooperation. And, uh, and the European Reference Network is like a, like a case to show that it's possible so you can see this in practice, you know, the the one directive was constructed, we thought, okay, there will be maybe seven, ten uh, such networks, but finally when when the call was open and uh, we we go then authorize finally twenty four uh, different uh, networks. Most of them, about twenty two, they are they are working in the field of overall diseases. And, and, and what is uh, important in the, yeah, the, the, I think it's a very great motto for this, for this cooperation with, which put in the two, two, three words, you know, share, care, and cure. So basically the concept is that patients um, doesn't need to travel because knowledge can travel. So by the cooperation between the academic centers, university hospitals, specialized doctors, you can allow, you know, the, the development of knowledge and sharing of knowledge which are needs for patients to travel, which often of course is a, is a problem for, for patients you know, or families. The second of course is the, through the consultation which, which we established a special digital platform to do it. You can also provide the best but, uh, possible ex- experience and knowledge to care um, in, the, in the moment of the, the, the patient's uh, development. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the phenomenal you know, example of the, of the uh, cooperation, mm-hmm. uh, but also you know potential for the for the future diagnosis or uh, or potential future development of therapies like like new new medicines or new medical devices for those patients. Let's move on to some of the challenges you might have implementing this directive. We just uh, published in you know, September the so-called Commission report about uh, five years of implementation of this directive. Mm-hmm. There are a few, few, few main conclusions at this moment of, of, of development. The first one is, I think, uh, it's clear that the fear which was during negotiations that the, there will be massive movement of patients and is not happening. The number is, is much, much smaller than, than, than forecasted even by, by, by commission. Uh, already in the defense, you know, we said that the, in the study we did before, the willingness for patients to move, you know, from one place to other is, is, is relatively low. It's even in every country, you know, you don't like to move from your home to very far um, uh, place to, to get treatment for a number of reasons, you know. So people are looking for the care as close home as possible. Uh, so the consequence is the budget didn't explode, which also was the fear of the, the government that simply they would be not able to afford this situation. The second conclusion was that we don't have any new cases in the front of the European court, so it seems the the way the legislators decided to establish those rules seems that uh, in this moment okay, so not not more legal challenge, but there but there are challenges with the implementation. So now I'm coming to the other observations. So for example, this is very much in the in the, in the parliamentary report. You can see this. You know how we can make the knowledge about the the the, the, the rights for the for the treatment be available to more patients 
and how we can help them to move. For example, the language barrier is a, is a big issue. The, there's also always questions about the the way you you pay for the treatment. The Commission report we also explain how we work with the national contact points to help with the knowledge and and, and transfer of information, and we continue to support them with the current published guidelines and so on. So so there's a lot of work, you know, Commission is trying to 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 do to help. Given all these challenges, over the next five years, what do you think should be the key milestones that this directive should achieve? I think the, the first, uh, the information to, to, to patients, but there's also information to healthcare providers because it's not enough if you are patients, you know your rights uh, and you like to move, but also you have to, uh, you, your healthcare provider has to be prepared, you know, I mean, you, you need to have kind of language support when you move from country to country. The, 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 this just example could be also other, other, other supporting services for people traveling to other places and, and, and spending some time in another country. They, they really have to be informed, but also they, they need sometimes additional services to help. The second uh, area, which, which is also a lot of discussion for improvement, is the so-called uh, trans-regional uh, cooperation, means that the regions... Uh, bordering regions between countries, like we have cooperation, for example, now between Spain and France to establish one hospital in the, in the kind of borderline, you know, to, to which serve to, to both, you know, French and, and Spanish population. It's, a, it's also an option. So there are more and more discussion, you know, can we do more together on the different borders and, and to, to, to help with the geographic uh, access, which often is, is easier, you know, you just cross bridge or, or even street and you are in in other uh, jurisdictions, so, so can we do this better? So this is the, the second interesting option which many countries are, are interested in and considering to improve, especially regions. And uh, the next one will be, of course, using the, the new tools like telemedicine and the cooperation the European Affairs Network and using the digital platform for consultations. Really good example, can we do this better? Can we do more? Can we do more telemedicine? services and then help with the, with the new technologies. Ms. Rees, many thanks. And that's it for this week. For more special podcast episodes on our 6P campaign, go to our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast from iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as usual, do share your thoughts in the comment section. Thanks for listening. See you next week.